Good morning. I hope you're all doing well. Um, let's pray briefly and then we can begin. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercies, your love and kindness. Father, we ask that as we sit and fellowship around your holy word, come, O oh God, and illuminate our understanding to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Our desire is that, O oh Lord, if there be any amongst us who has not come to a saving knowledge of you, may you reveal yourself unto such an one. And for the rest of us who know you, O oh God, we ask that you help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I can see uh, we have a few people joining us. So I would um, quickly do a rundown of what we've done so far so that we can be in sync with uh, where we are. We are in chapter 4. Last week we started discussing the first 3 to 5 verses. So I'll give you a background of the book um, and then give you the, um, the thrust of the book and then we'll pick the discussion from there. So uh, as Pastor was saying, this book was written to uh, Timothy who, came, who comes from Lystra in the region of Iconium. If you've read the Bible very well, especially in the book of Acts, uh, during Paul's uh, first missionary journey, he made some trips around that area, and then he, he met Timothy. Now, Timothy had been raised by his mom, Eunice, and the grandmother, Lois, and Paul testifies that Timothy, from a child, had known the scriptures. But most theologians believe that it was when he met Paul that, you know, he was really converted. We could argue that possibly he was converted before, you know, he met Paul. But whatever it is, Timothy became more or less like Paul's protege. And so uh, after the second missionary journey, he took him along and he asked him to stay in uh, Ephesus, which was a big city back in those days. Now, we know historically that the temple of Diana was in Ephesus, and the place was full of idolatry. And God established the church there and asked, uh, in fact, the church of Ephesus had more than one pastor. It wasn't just Timothy. Um, Paul himself was there for three years. And then remember that in Acts chapter 20, when he was leaving and they had to see him off at the shore, the elders, he said, um, take heed unto the flock that God has given you. And he said that the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. Remember, when we looked at chapter 3 about the character of church leadership, we said that in actual fact, these days we put in place a church search committee and then we vote pastors into office. But eventually the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit who puts people into office in sound churches. So we realize that they have a responsibility to Jesus Christ himself. Someday our pastor, our pastors are going to stand before God and account for their stewardship. And then we as a membership also have a responsibility to help them to do well. So Paul was concerned about the church. And so he told, he told the elders that they should preach sound doctrine. So... Uh, if you read the book of Timothy, he has that kind of background. Paul has always been burdened about the health of the church. So this book, largely, the key verse is 1 Timothy 3.15, which says that, that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. So when you are a member of a church, it's not like being a member of a social club where you can just go and come as you like. The way you behave outside the church is very important. Okay. And then, of course, if you find yourself in any ministry, you can see that your life impacts the ministry that you serve. So you don't just do anything. Uh, as we're, I mean, discussing these things, um, I came across a story where, I mean, with church leadership, for instance, in a particular church, the elder, I mean, we talk about plurality of elders, okay? Um, you have uh, sometimes two, three pastors who take turns, right, to run the church. And then you have multiple 
deacons who help. Now it happened that in a particular church, the elders, I mean the deacons were giving the pastor problems. Okay? And the man was praying. And you wouldn't believe that in a particular year, all eight deacons passed away. All eight, one after the other. And when I heard that story, it, it, it shook me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just think about it. You see, so these are some of the reasons why it's not just elders and pastors, I mean, uh, deacons, but even church members. If you are just living anyhow, okay, and doing things that the church doesn't know about, you have to be careful. Because once you are a member of the church, the Holy Spirit <laughs> is watching over you and a serious business. So our conduct as believers is very, very important. Okay. And so this book is not just for, it's a pastoral epistle, but it affects all of us. So what we expect uh, church leaders to be doing, the same applies to church membership. Pastor, you want to say something? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've heard stories like that mm. before, and I, you know, I don't doubt they're truthful. I think I would be quick to also emphasize, there are times pastors get sort of misguided and wrong-headed and it's helpful for godly deacons and mm. other leaders to like stuff up and kind of get them back on the right track. Mm. So, you, you know, I'm not at all, mm. you know, diminishing the story that you told, but don't think the pastors are like, you know, invincible and always right. And, you know, if you ever challenge them, God's going to strike you down. <laughs> yeah. uh, and our deacons, thankfully, have done that from time to time here. So, I'm yeah. for that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I went to see that movie, The Essential Church. Okay. That was very, very interesting. Um, I highly recommend it. But anyway, what was interesting to me, what I didn't know, is Grace Pretty Church, mm -hmm. the Java Carpenter Church, has 28 elders. Mm -hmm. And they operate unanimously. Like, how can that even happen? You know? So it was just kind of interesting to see how that works. But to me, it just reminds me of when Tim was interviewing here, and he's like, I'm, if it's unanimous, I know that God was in it, as opposed to dissension and division. And, and what it was just kind of really interesting to see how God can work among so many different people in a message of unity if they're truly in tune with the Holy Spirit, you know, and then if they're not, if there's division and discord, then, you know, maybe there's something wrong and that needs to be addressed. Yes. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. In fact, when we started reading, I mean, the book, uh, Chris tackled chapter one, chapter two. In chapter one, especially in verse number five, Paul mentions, he says, uh, we do this out from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And Paul was saying that for all true, I mean, pastors or leaders, they, are, they shouldn't be fake. I mean, we modern, in modern times, we'll use the word fake, okay? But Paul uses a pure heart, pure conscience, a sincere faith. Now, the question is, is it possible for a person to belong to a church and be fake? Both for church membership and church leaders. Is it possible? <laughs> it's, it's possible. So what, what can we learn from that? Pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. What can we learn from that as individuals of the church? Well, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, have hypocrisy or sin or we're trying to be something we're not or mm -hmm. we're proud so we're trying to appear mm -hmm. as a righteous person when mm -hmm. inward we're, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. You know, how are we even hearing from God? We're doing our own thing. We're not doing His, his mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. Awesome, yeah. Uh, additionally, it also kind of illustrates how important relationships are in a church. I mean, mm -hmm. you can come, show up, sing, mm -hmm. you know, follow along your Bible, and get out of there as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Never actually get to know anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's a far easier way to hide your hypocrisy than mm -hmm. there are healthy relationships. People actually know what's going on. People can get into your life. Um, you know, when you've got that culture in a church, it's harder to hide your hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Take note of that word, hypocrisy, because in chapter 3, uh, chapter 4, Paul mentions that the false teachers are hypocritical liars. It's very important that that word has come up. Yes, ma'am. I'm currently reading a book for the second time, The Unsaved Christian. You know if that's in the library? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. That's an excellent book. Okay. But it talks about that specific thing to people that he has different... Mm -hmm. You know, he calls them cultural uh -huh. Christians and uh, country club Christians. <laughs> <laughs> church, 
church, but you know, I was just waiting this morning. You know, they know, you know, their heart is far from me. Yeah. But it's an excellent book. So I hope we are learning that the local church is not perfect. And that is why the pastor always preaches the gospel. We don't always assume that every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the church is saved. In fact, it's very, it's, it's fallacetic. Let me, if there's a word like that, to think that <laughs> everybody who walks into the church is saved. No. Even with missionaries, we've had stories where missionaries have been saved when they went into the field. So we don't preach as if or teach as if everybody here is saved. But, and it's the same thing. A lot of church leaders may, are not even saved. And yet they have gone to seminary. It shouldn't be surprising at all. So uh, if you are a very good pastor, a very good church ministry person, you don't assume that every person that you meet in the church is saved until the person begins to show fruits Okay, of righteousness. All right? And the same for family members. Even your children. You don't assume that because you are faithful in church, your children are automatically saved until they begin to ask the right questions, show fruits, and things like that. And you continue praying for them. All right? So Paul makes these things clear. And unlike false teachers, he mentions sin, grace, redemption, and the place of the law. And then in chapter 2, he moves on to worship, that is prayer, and he discusses the place of women and how women should dress to public places. Very, very important. These days, the way people dress to public places, it leaves much to be desired. You see, as believers, we have to watch the way we dress to public places. All right? So he talks about worship in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, he talks about the character of uh, Christian leaders and then Christian ministry. So it's not just for uh, pastors and deacons, but for anybody who is involved in ministry. What are the, what, how should we be, I mean, behave? In fact, I remember we, we discussed this here where uh, Benjamin is here. I think he gave me the succinct answer that I was looking for, if you remember. Okay, I asked that, why is it that Paul doesn't spend time talking about what pastors and um, deacons should be doing, but he focuses on their character. Why did Paul focus on that? And the answer was that what we do by way of activity flows from what we are, you see. And so, you know, activity is no substitute for personal holiness. So if you are a church leader, a church person, you should be concerned about holy living because the way we behave impacts on our ministry. All right? So Paul spends time on that. And then when we came to the latter verses, 14, 15, uh, he spoke about um, how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. And we came across three very important phrases. The church is described as the household of God, the church of the living God, and then the pillar and buttress of the truth. And we discussed that, remember. These are very significant things. Can somebody remind us of what we said about what this, uh, what this imports for every believer? The church is described as a, a household or the family of God, the church of the living God, and the pillar and buttress of the truth. We mentioned some things. Anybody remembers? What does it mean if the church is described as the household of God? The family of God. What, imp what does it imply? What are the implications for you and I? That we're a living spouse. Mm -hmm. We're not just there. We're active participants and we participated in everything. Mm -hmm. that we that's benefiting the church as well as the mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. If the church is the family of God, look at how when we are related by blood, you know, the ties that we have to each other. It tells us that, you know, we should be closely knit together as a church family. You know, let me just give this example. How many of us, for, I've been here for five years, how many of you really know me? Yes, my, I'm using myself as an example. There, 
is, you get a picture? All right. We should really get to know each other. The same for me. You see, there are some of the young people here. Uh, it will be very difficult for me to mention your name. Because when you see me on the corridor, you don't ask any questions. You don't say hello and things like that. As young people, we should learn to connect in the church. Most of you are young people. I'm just giving you, I'm using you as an example. You know, you, because of like Timothy. Timothy was a young person, about 20 years old. But he stepped up to be a pastor. And can you imagine Timothy just, I mean, from what the account that we read, he seemed to be timid and, you know, a bit laid back, you know, very respectful. But Paul is charging him, preach the gospel. But when you read Titus, Titus seems to be very brash and, you know, he seems to be that kind of leader. So the household, we need to be a family, you know, in the same way, older people to connect with the younger people and vice versa. Women, you know, you want to say something? Family of God is the eternal family. Mm -hmm. God the Father, yes. 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 Yes, in fact, you find out that when we pray, look, sometimes we come here and then Madam Christie will say, Bennett, I'm praying for you. Esther, I'm praying for you. Because she knows what is happening in your life. You know, so if somebody is struggling, I mean, can you imagine you have two, three, four, five people praying for you because you are what? A family. Yes, ma'am. Another plug for, for the movie that I saw yesterday. Um, that's part of that was these pastors in Canada mm -hmm. during the shutdown, mm -hmm. how they were forced to just preach to a camera mm -hmm. and how they their testimony of how they just cry thinking my people are out there. I can't touch them. I can't talk to them. I can't find out how they're struggling. I can't be, I can't be a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And just, just their incredible struggle. And it's the same. It's mm -hmm. for the pastor to be able to shepherd, mm -hmm. to be involved in how, I mean, I, I think about my, my in-laws that are still, watching church on television every Sunday morning yeah. and, and, and they think, okay, I'm <laughs> they're not, that's not the point yeah. of the church is to encourage each other. Mm -hmm. It's to me, that's why we don't forsake because we can get teaching anywhere, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. today. Yeah. But to, to, like you're saying, to, to look at someone's face who you can see sadness, yes. you can't get that. Yeah. You can't get that until you're there. You mm -hmm. can put a hand on mm -hmm. their shoulder and encourage mm -hmm. them. It's, mm -hmm. it's what God's, it's God's design. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that God has designed the church in such a way that, you know, sometimes, just out of the blue, the first comment somebody makes to you, all right, ministers to what is happening within your spirit. Sometimes it's amazing. That's why we don't have to joke with a Christian family. Okay? So, it's the household of God. It's the church of the living God. It's an expression of, I mean, one of God's attributes that we don't use very often. The church of the living God. God is living. Alright? And you contrast that with false idols and things like that. God is the living God. I don't know how that sounds to you. Alright? And I remember I was singing, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Okay? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Okay? And then we have the pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church should, you know, Uphold the truth. We should preach the gospel. And so in verse number 16 of chapter 3, Paul answers the question, what is truth? And he says that, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And in fact, the theologians say that this was a kind of hymn that the early church had been singing. And it's significant. We also recite that very often during our morning uh, services. So that is chapter 3. And then we'll move on to chapter 4. And last week we looked at the first 3 to 4 or 5 verses. Remember, the first line that we find in chapter 4, it says that some will depart from the faith. And we come across the word apostasy from 
depart from the faith. Okay. So we ask, who are the some? And we answer that it could mean some who belong to the household of God. Okay. And or even the church leaders. Some will depart from their faith. This is a categorical statement. And it says, the Spirit says, when did the Spirit say that? When Christ was on earth, Matthew 24, he said that there will be many false prophets amongst you. Okay. And we discuss what the latter days refer to. The latter days refer to the period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so our period falls within that time. Okay. And I'm sure if you look at your ESV, the spirit is capital S. Okay. So that also tells us about the personality of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit speaks. Okay. He reasons. He can be grieved. So he's a person, the third person of the Godhead. So uh, for these false teachers, Paul gives two examples where their error is coming from. He talks about marriage and food. Okay. Now, what was the connection that we made? We go as far back as Genesis. Okay. It was God who instituted marriage. Now, these are false teachers teaching that, you know, some people should not marry. In fact, there's a term we use. It's um, they had this kind of um, a false sense of piety. They thought that if you don't marry, it's more spiritual. If you don't eat certain foods, it's more spirit. You are being a more spiritual person. Paul says, no, that is not a gospel. So how does he answer them? He says that what all this can be done with what prayer and thanksgiving. In other words, when it comes to food, what do we do? We say the grace, right? Yes, grace. You bless, you can eat anything. I don't know how some of you will feel if you know some of the food we eat in Africa. You know? Uh, when I heard, for instance, that in Japan they eat frog legs. <laughs> you also do, yeah. You know, so food is food, you know. It can be sanctified by what? By prayer and the word of God. Of the word of God. So you don't make doctrines out of food. Okay. I think I, I gave you an assignment last week. Do you have any sects? Do you know any sects that prohibit marriage for certain people and then food for... Can we discuss one or two examples? Certain sects? Certain the Adventists? They are very strict on... Yes, on food. In fact, some people don't eat seafood. Some people don't eat pigs. I know Islam. Yes. What else? Caffeine? Which people? Mormons. Mormons? Oh, okay. Yeah, I just thought about like super, super liberal people, uh -huh. like woke people uh -huh. or whatever that are even trying to deny gender uh -huh. and they're not getting married uh -huh. because yeah. I'm a boy today and I'm a girl tomorrow and they're not getting married. And then also with yeah. the food, maybe um, people that are just uh, wanting to be like vegetarians or vegans or whatever, so they're denying themselves certain food. And it really doesn't have anything to do with getting mm -hmm. closer to God or worshiping yeah. God. It's just being yeah. better yeah yes pastor uh, if you read older commentaries yeah. they thought this verse was specifically talking about the roman catholic church okay um because you know in their teaching about oh, or, uh, monks and nuns and stuff you know if you're, if you're really old mm -hmm. you won't mm -hmm. marry mm -hmm. and also uh, all those lent laws about you know you can't eat on fridays and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff yeah. um i mean I, I i don't think it's specifically talking about roman catholicism but i definitely need to be included in that if, uh, yeah and it's amazing that they prohibit marriage. I look at the scandals that is we hear, we've had over the years. You know, so this is what happens when you go against scripture. So let's, uh, Chris, would you kindly read uh, from six to sixteen for us, and then we'll see what we can do. First Timothy chapter four, four yes. Verse six. If you will put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, <clears throat> having nothing to do with their reverent silliness. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Uh-huh. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, uh-huh. in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecies when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Look at the last sentence. By doing so, you save both yourself and those who listen to you or who your hearers. So if I want to ask you, Paul has been talking about the context of false doctrine, okay? In one sentence, how does he, um, what, what are his suggestions for, his prescriptions for countering false doctrine from what we've just read? He gives, in just one sentence, what would you say is Paul's prescription for countering false doctrine? I'd say to be well trained. Well trained? I'll give you six over ten. <laughs> six, I'll take, yeah, six over ten. Yes, I want you to nail it. Okay. You are close. In one sentence, how would you, what is Paul's prescription for countering sound doctrine? Following the doctrines of Christ. A doctrine of, I'll give you eight and a half. <laughs> If you give you've given me part of the part of the answer. It's dependent on God. It says don't neglect the gift which you have. Uh-huh. So it's focusing on God's strength and seeking his direction and doing things his way. Okay. Just around eight. You just <laughs> All right. You are close. There's something else that you have to add. Yes, sir. I think it's I like to say trust in God, uh-huh. being trained in his word, uh-huh. and word and then that should follow, a godly life should follow that. Amazing. That's 10. <laughs> That's 10. You've nailed it, all right. Yes, I'm very stingy with my mark, so. <laughs> all right. So don't bother, but we are just trying to do the, arrive at the right answer. So Paul says, I mean, in, in simple terms, he says, preach the gospel and then exercise yourself, we said trained, to sell yourself to what? Godliness. This is how to counter false what teaching. Now, let me ask you in practical terms, how does that work out as a local body? How do we train ourselves? How do we exercise ourselves into godliness? And how do we proclaim the gospel to counter the flood of false doctrine in practical terms as a local body? How do we do that? It does have nothing to do with irreverent silliness. So like if I know that something is wrong, Uh I'm not going to associate myself Uh with that. Okay. Now, this is a very important answer. You know, there are some of us who think that, you know, as long as people are calling upon God, oh, that church is fine. You know, we see people. In fact, some people have made songs to the effect that, oh, now... People are becoming Christians every, globally, and churches are everywhere, and you know, the gospel is on the move, and so I can go to any church and things like that. That's very, you need to be very, very, in fact, the word Christian these days is used loosely. It's become a loose term. Until you begin to ask questions, you know. Uh, last week, uh, when we came to church, uh, uh, Kim, I was talking to Kim, and then she said, oh, we interviewed one of your, your countrymen, and then uh, he was even saying he knows the NIV and things like that. And I said, and wait a minute. Uh, you, might want to, <laughs> you might want to ask further questions because in Ghana, everybody goes to church, you know? And I knew that person and the way he, he, he behaves, even here. 
So I asked her, I said, no, no, you, have, you want to be very careful before, you know, you go into details and things like that. So very important. What else? Practical terms. Look at the text, 6 to 16. What are some of the things Paul mentions? Okay. Reading scripture is one way, okay, of exercising ourselves. In fact, let's, uh, uh, the term godliness, what does it mean? Godliness, what does it mean? Characteristics of God. Of God. That's the simple definition. Okay. In fact, for Timothy, Paul testifies that the brethren within that region of Lystra and Iconium had a good report about Timothy. So it wasn't just Paul's interaction. He had a good report about the churches there. And that is why Paul could trust him and then make sure that he stayed in Ephesus to teach. You see, so one, to describe godliness, we are talking about having a good report about a person. Good Christian report, Christian character. You see, so if we are talking about reaching the world, one way is to ensure that we live or exercise what? Godliness. That is how we have. In fact, when we talk about, we should mention work and things like that. You see, one of the things that has sadly happened to the church is that, you see, the church has lost its distinctiveness. I mean, Christians speak like the world, go to the same places like the world, and all of that. So the church, gradually, has lost its, its, its power. You see, false and compromised forms of living has become the order of the day. And that's why a church has not that influence that it used to have, that it should have. I remember when I came to this country, in, to California, during one Bible study, I noticed everybody was talking now. The military, the military, the military, the military. So I, I remember I asked my friend, why is it that people respect the military more than the church in this country? And anybody else ask me why? Answer me. Why is it that I notice that people respect the military more than the church? Why is it so? There's a link to what we are discussing. It's lost its way. Largely. And it's not that good churches are not around. There are good churches, but largely the church has lost its way. Yes, I need help on this. You mm. keep referring to the church. The church. Not, not a church. No. The church. Yes. This is God's church. Yes. You're saying God's church is lost. Yes. I mean. God's not really doing a good job, is he? I don't know. It, it doesn't like, uh, it's like this. You see, somebody said that it's like uh, there's a camera, big camera on the whole, okay? It's where the focus is. You see, it's like you are looking at the big picture. If you are to look at individual churches, you will see that many good, there are so many good churches locally. Okay, but we are looking at the big picture. Yeah. In fact, what do you see on the screens? What kind of churches do you see on the big screens? The universal churches. Yes, yes. There are good churches in Ghana. There are good churches in Indiana. There are good churches in New York. There are good churches everywhere. But we are looking at the big picture. Yes, I think part of the confusion is mm -hmm. that in America especially, not every church that claims to be a church is a church. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's not just America. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really. <laughs> but, you know, here we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of churches and like, you know, so many of them don't preach the gospel, don't use the Bible, don't know Jesus at all. Mm -hmm. And that's where the confusion I think, mm -hmm. lies. Mm -hmm. and when we talk about the church in America, what are we really talking about? Mm -hmm. We're talking about all those that profess to be Christians mm -hmm. or have a church, you know, Church on the front sign, mm -hmm. up front. Or are we talking about the true people that truly mm -hmm. the hope in Jesus and you know, believe the Bible? Mm -hmm. So perhaps that's behind some of the confusion. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Jesus is building his church, and that's mm -hmm. like a you know, true, healthy congregation. Yeah. But yeah. You know, especially in America, an awful lot of congregations yeah. that aren't actual churches. Yeah. Churches. yeah. Last Sunday, I went to church in Portland, Oregon, which in many ways is kind of the epicenter of a lot of darkness that's going on in our country. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of neat to see this really good, mm -hmm. struggling church mm -hmm. trying to be a light in a very yeah. dark place, yeah. overrun with homelessness and, yeah. and violence and so on. But 
to me, I, I, you know, I was just thinking a lot about it, you know. I mean, so the, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what? I mean, the true church, a good church, is exactly where they need to be, yeah. you know, like, like a gem, yeah. you know. If you have all these people that are out of shape and not unless they can't curl five pounds, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, that's where they need to be is the mm -hmm. gym, you know, mm -hmm. so that they can, they can, they can be reached, you know. Yeah. And I, you look at a church of, say, the prodigal son mm -hmm. versus the older brother, mm -hmm. like the broken, real people who, who just realize how weak and pathetic they are, you know, like Paul in Romans mm -hmm. 7, you know, versus the self-righteous and whatever. Mm -hmm. I, and I think it's, always got to be back to the heart yeah. and in a in a true church people are going to realize they're totally dependent on god they yeah. are not at, they can't they're everything they do is within his sovereignty yeah and that he's you know so to me it's 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 about the heart in a true church you might yeah. have one where everybody's perfectly mm -hmm. behaved, but they're mm -hmm. you know yes. side full of them yeah in fact uh just to continue with your, your argument if you look at church history in the dark ages it seemed like the camera was on the catholic church right but even within that period, there were sound churches. And God preserved a remnant. That's what we are saying. It doesn't mean that, you know, because things are haywire, all right? A lot of people are being converted, okay, through the preaching of the word in so many ways. And a friend had to go on a business trip to Kenya. And then when he went there, I mean, Kenya, uh, Nairobi is, is, is just bustling like that. Very modern city. So he was looking for a good church. Then he searched on the internet. And then he went to this church in a very shanty town. And he said there were just like 10, 15 people. But he said, I had one of the best experiences I ever had. In that very dilapidated area. There were faithful 10, 15 people serving, worshiping God. The way he should be worshipped. And he was just blessed. You see, so we look at it in those terms. It doesn't mean that God is not moving. God is moving. God is working. But unfortunately, you know, the, the, the ecosystem, <laughs> let me put it that way, is not something that we can be happy about. You see, and you can see the prosperity gospel, the, I mean, all kinds of things going on, you know, and things like that. So look at verse number seven. Okay, Paul encourages Timothy. He says that exercise yourself for godliness. Now, the word exercise there has this idea of gym, gymnasium, gym. I mean, I don't know how many of you work out, but that is the, <laughs> that is the idea. You see, if you work out so that your muscles will be strong, the same way when it comes to godliness, you have to what? Work out. So Paul uses the work out your own what? Salvation with fear and trembling. You see, so we're talking about the fear of for God, of, of God, okay, love for God and a desire for God. You see. Oh, you see, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Because there was no king in Israel, everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. You see, it shouldn't be for but we should exercise ourselves to godliness. Awesome. I just comment on that real quick. That is so important. I hope everybody is tuning in. Um, I have encountered so many problems in Christian Christians' lives that just have a mistaken idea of how we change and grow. And a lot of people think it's like it's zapped by some thunderbolt and we're godly or other thing. You know, we met. There's so many wrong ideas. You can look at it as almost like an effort to get in shape that helps a lot. You know, that's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some intentionality. Uh, you know, there'll probably be days where you go two steps forward, two steps back. But if you look at growing godliness that way, that can spare you from awful lot of problems, which I've seen a lot of Christians fall into. You know, even in counseling, people are coming to me like, here's my rebellious teenager, give them a good talking to them straight now. I'm like, it's not there. <laughs> um, so yeah, look at growth and godliness as yeah. similar to training for almost like a physical event or something like that. Yeah. In fact, uh, that brings us to the point about Paul saying that and godliness, okay, has a promise not only for this life. Now I ask you, in what sense is godliness, okay, what are the blessings, okay, of godliness in this present life? He says it's not just in this present life, but also in the world to come. But let's discuss for this present life, what are the blessings to godliness? Practically speaking, for this life, 
Peace, peace, peace. Very, very important. If you go to bed and your mind is, you know, wandering and restless and over one thing or the other, maybe a difficult spouse, difficult children, you know, difficult workplace, you know, so many. You know, in fact, one man was describing how people have peace. He said, when you see somebody, he says that, look, when you see somebody, today the head is yellow, tomorrow is violet, next day is this, it tells you that the person has no peace in their heart. Because he's trying to, you know, today the head, are you getting the picture? He's just going on and on and on and on, trying to gain the approval of the world. There's no peace. All right, what else? Godliness, blessings for this life. What else? She mentioned peace. Okay. Look at lifestyles. Look at friendships. Look at disciplined children. Look at marriages, godly marriages. What can you say about those? Godliness, the blessings. We'd say clear conscience. Clear conscience. Mm-hmm. Which also leads to peace. Mm-hmm. I think regret and guilt mm-hmm. is a destroyer of mm-hmm. peace. Okay. Yeah, if you have fear of man, mm-hmm. um, you can replace that with fear of God, and you want to live with in, with reverence to everything that God has to say and direct you. I guess that's similar to what they have said. Yeah, that's good. The joy that comes from God knows the best way to live. Let me ask you: Do you have joy this morning? You have joy. You know, it's not happiness. Happiness is like uh, your team has won a trophy and you are just crazy over the place. No, we are talking about joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy. You have that. All right. And joy is not dependent on circumstances. No. Happiness. Certainly yes. is. But yeah. Joy is just whether it can be awful. You mm-hmm. can still have mm-hmm. joy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's look at the opposite of for this life. Those who are ungodly. What are the signs? What are the symptoms? What are okay? For godliness, we see the blessings. For ungod- the ungodly, what are the symptoms? What are the signs? Unrest. Unrest. Double-minded. Double-minded, okay. Okay. In fact, have you realized that when we talk about the ungodly, think about somebody like um, a business person who is in the eyes of the world is enjoying success. Okay. And the world, in fact, they take their words on the TV. But is that joy? How does God see that? You see, uh, look at envy, jealousy, division, divorce, murder, suicide, disease, confusion. You see, this is symptomatic of the unregenerate, the ungodly. If you read Psalm 1, blessed is the man that what walketh not in the world, the counsel of the ungodly. Now seated what? In the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law shall he what? Meditate what? Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers what? That bringeth forth. The ungodly are not so. But are like the chaff. So a tree of life and chaff. Tree is steady. Chaff is what? You are not deep. All right? So, when you are saved, it has not promised for this life and then in the life to come. You see? So, the life to come, what are the expectations for the godly and the ungodly? Use your knowledge of other places in Scripture. What did Jesus say about that? The life to come. Paul is talking about not just this life, but the life to come. 
heaven and hell. Luke chapter 16, okay? And the rich man and Lazarus. When Lazarus died, the Bible says he found himself where? In Abraham's what? Bosom. When the rich man died, he found himself where? In hell. And then the Bible says that there is a great gulf what? Fixed. Great gulf. So that those who are up there cannot what? Cross. You see. And you know, we talk about godliness. One person has this statement. He says, godliness puts a man in heaven even before he's dead. See that? Godliness puts a man in heaven even before he's dead. Paul says elsewhere, against such, there is no law. You know? So, these are things for us to ponder about. If you are unsaved, you are not only struggling on earth, but in the life to come, it's going to be worse. You see, and the same way if you have, that's why we talk about eternity. In fact, Paul has been looking at this whole chapter within the borders of what? Eternity. Elsewhere, it says that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So Christianity is not just for the blessings of this life, but what? In the life to come. The same, the opposite is true for the ungodly. You are not only going to struggle on this earth, you are going to end up, you top it with hell fire. You see, elsewhere it says, where the, 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 the worm dieth not. You come across that term before? Yes. It's like, like being eaten alive. Something. That's the picture. You see. So we have to always think about eternity. You know, eternity. Right. So uh, Paul says we should labor, strive, make sure that we are, you know, it's a, Christianity is always a struggle. You know, before we get up, we continue. You shouldn't stay wherever you are. Uh, for the sake of time, I want us to finish with chapter uh, verse 10, okay? Uh, the Bible says, it says that Christ is the Savior of all men. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that every Tom, Dick, and Harry will be saved? Let's discuss that briefly and close. Can you read that for us, uh, Chris, quickly? Verse 10. Uh -huh. For to this end, we toil and strive mm -hmm. because we have our hope mm -hmm. set on the living God who uh -huh. is the Savior of all people. Mm -hmm. Especially those who believe. Yes. So what can we say? He's the savior of all men. Does it mean that everybody eventually will make it? Yes, Kevin? Yeah, I think certainly with the believers, you know, there's eternal salvation that we receive. But but everyone benefits, mm -hmm. right, from Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's a temporal lessons that people experience in this life of common grace. Because we all deserve God's wrath. Yeah. So, I mean, when you experience the joy of the country childbirth and marriage, um, that's a temporal uh, blessing, if you will, that all people experience uh, as a result of Christ, really as a result of what Christ has done. Um, so I think you know, yeah. there's that distinction. So for believers, it's our faith in Christ mm -hmm. we're saved for eternity. Unbelievers experience temporal blessings yeah. uh, through the same Wonderful. So God's goodness, everybody enjoys God's goodness. But here we are talking about the effectual call. You know, God working on people's hearts to draw himself, to draw him unto himself, to draw them unto himself. So it's not everybody who will be saved. Okay, Paul, uh, uh, Isaiah says that who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Okay, so God's goodness through the preaching of the gospel goes out to all. But the response, all right, that's why previously we said that, you know, the God, I mean, the, well, the gospel is like this, you know, it is a supernatural working of God, the Spirit of God on the heart of people for them to be saved. 
with the fact that somebody can quote all the scriptures, give all the answers, right, doesn't necessarily mean it's the response. The response. So the effectual call, Pastor, yes, you want Yes, that's all right. Uh, what Kevin is saying is totally true. Common grace blessings mm-hmm. come from Jesus Christ. But another possible way, I know that that word is special there, but mm-hmm. it also be translated specifically. And yeah. it's translated that way, it's kind of not as confusing. And yeah. the Savior of everybody, specifically those who yeah. trust in Him, so He's available to yeah. whoever will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually, you know, He only saves those who trust in Him. Yeah. 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 Time is fast spent. So um, just one comment and then we pray and express. What are you taking away this morning? Just one comment. What has, what stood out to you, Kevin? I was going to say, I know we didn't get to it, but mm-hmm. when you were talking about, earlier we were talking about the church being the family of God, mm-hmm. I think there were some comments about how it's important you know, for us to meet together and have a pastor who's among his people. I think one of the, a, a very important verse in this passage in verse 15 where he Paul says practice these things mm-hmm. immerse yourself in them mm-hmm. so that all may see your progress mm-hmm. if you you can't that can't happen in a zoom church mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know several miles away yeah. and you might see him once a month I mean you can't see his life mm-hmm. You know, you can't see that he's progressing yeah. in these things. And yeah. so I just, when, when I was reading that, I was like, it just sort of stood out. Yeah. That's, he's talking about the local church, the importance of the local church, belonging to a local body. Yes. And how much we take for granted. As mm. I was sharing about these pastors in Canada, these guys were arrested. This is in 2021, arrested and put in maximum security mm. prisons. The government came in, changed the locks on their door so they had to meet outside in the weather and, and whatever. And it's like, how far would we go to cherish this gift that we have in the church and, and the people? Like, we just don't even, and not to mention everything else in history and, and the rest of the world. Yeah. But to me, it, it's just like, we, we need to appreciate what we have as we, mm-hmm. we don't. When, when it's an abundantly free thing that we always have had, we take it for granted and we don't truly value it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to fellowship around the Holy Word. Father, uh, we've discussed these things, but we know that ultimately the power of conviction, O oh Lord, rests with you. Father, we are trusting you to reprove us, to instruct us in the way that we ought to go, so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We commit the next stage of our program into your hands. Take us through, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience. We'll see you next week. <clears throat>